0: First, I will go down by saying I am a control freak, so this is a good lesson for everybody (laughs) because I do not like giving up control. However, if I'm going to be a healthy and thriving leader, I must. So all of you out there listening who think you cannot do this, you can. I promise. If I can do it, you can do it. Welcome to One Next Step the most practical business podcast in the world. Helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Ziveld.
1: Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Lisa Ziveld And I'm Trisha. And today, we're looking
0: back on the year with clips from some of the most popular and favorite episodes in 2021. We've had so many amazing guests this year, and we could probably pull a highlight clip from every single <laughs> one of them. But to narrow it down, we checked the stats to identify the most listened to episodes,
1: and here they are. In today's episode, you'll hear from Ian Morgan Cron, best-selling author of the popular Enneagram book, The Road Back to You. Krisha Bueller, Belay's VP of Human Resources our fabulous executive assistants, Kate Sawtell and Melissa Lawrence, and Tricia and I will chime in with our thoughts on several topics as well. As always. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, it'll include
0: some fabulous advice on working with an executive assistant, how the Enneagram helps you increase self-awareness and lead well, the power of learning to say no creating a supportive and available culture, even in a remote environment, and the downfalls of micromanagement. So let's get started. Here's our first clip with our good friends and executive assistants, Kate
1: and Melissa. Really, I mean, Kate and Melissa, you guys are leading us you know, and we have to be willing to come with open palms. And when you say, no, you can't do this meeting. (laughs) Say, yes, ma'am. You're right. I can't. So what are some tips really, or some advice that you could give perhaps another EA who's saying like, how do you lead your leader? Because I think that that's actually a real problem. Some EAs
2: have. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think understanding your leader's goals and priorities is really important to, you know, helping to keep them on track with that, keep their eye on the prize. Um, so being intentional about sitting down maybe quarterly with them and understanding what their current goals and priorities are, and then, um, you know, holding them accountable and doing things like blocking time on their calendar. Like I have time on Trisha's calendar monthly um, for her vision planning for Belay, because that's something that would never happen if it, you know, I didn't block time for that. Those are the kind of intangible things that are easy to kind of just get pushed out. And so, doing those things to where you're helping to hold your leader accountable and um, protect their time to be able to achieve those goals.
3: Yeah, it was funny. We had a another EA start this week, so I got to meet with her, and she asked a very similar question. And I said, you know it's it's really setting it up in, on the front end, really starting out strong with the communication, with the expectations. And figuring out how you communicate with each other, what works best for you, because it's not going to be the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, holding them accountable, quote unquote, calling them out <laughs> when maybe they <laughs> are doing something they shouldn't. For example, great example from this week. What? What? True.
1: What? You're <laughs> gonna get, no, it's totally no.
3: Totally on me too. I made a mistake. I put PTO incorrectly on the calendar and Elsie corrected me as she should. But then she said, well, I'll you know, I've just gone in and changed it. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I can do that. I will fix <laughs> my mistake. You shouldn't be doing that. And so really yeah. catching them in those moments of, again, just because you can do it does not mean that you should do it. And I know myself, like I made the mistake. I will absolutely fix it. But letting them know, hey, thank you for telling me that I made a mistake because I don't want to do that wrong again. And giving that feedback Mm -hmm. um, and giving it in a very nice and gracious way. But you let me go in then and fix it and you didn't have to waste your time doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I love, um, what I hope, you know, if if there's any assistants out there listening to this episode can take from this is that you guys really do a great job at emulating what it means to – lead administratively Mm -hmm. and that you are proactive and you don't wait to be delegated to. So I think there's Mm -hmm. this subset or this idea, this myth that for a VA, I'm I'm sitting and I'm waiting for my leader to tell me what I'm supposed to do to help them now. And you do not live in that category, right? Like a true, excellent executive assistant is really not waiting to be delegated to, But however, seeing where there are gaps, where there's work, looking ahead and being so proactive to say, hey, I know you have this thing three weeks from now, let me start a presentation. Or I see you're going to take a vacation, let me reschedule meetings now. So you guys are, um, I think that's what makes you, in my opinion, the best of the best Mm -hmm. is that (laughs) um, you really have the vision for um, leading forward and getting out of like what's happening today because for us as leaders being able to look ahead is where we need to be
1: and if you're already there with us what a blessing and the first one is really how to build trust you know i know that when we are at events that's again one of the first questions besides what do i delegate goes how do I trust them? How do I know it's going to get done? So Tricia, you are the expert in this area of the business. So how did you start out with your EA? And then I know now I'm with Melissa, really giving trust and relinquishing that control?
0: Yes. So First, I will go down by saying I am a control freak, so this is a good lesson for everybody because I do not like giving up control. However, if I'm going to be a healthy and thriving leader, I must. So all of you out there listening who think you cannot do this, you can. I promise. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, First and foremost, I think it's realizing that those things realize you're a control freak and you don't like giving things up. I mean, mm-hmm. Melissa, when Melissa first started, I was very transparent with her about th- that being the case. Um, some things I found very easy cause I had no emotional attachment to them or I didn't feel like I was good at them. So those were the things I could easily give away like calendar and travel because I hated it. And so I had no problem giving it up immediately. And then by setting really clear expectations about exactly how I liked it and how I wanted it and ideal work week and all the things we've talked about before, she was able to really run with it and deliver things successfully kind of right out of the gate. So I think, you know, starting with what will be easy for you to let go that you don't have control or emotional attachment to is an easy way to give your assistant a quick win and an easy way to make an impression and build that trust To start. And then I think from there, it's an evolution and it grows. I think you you sit in the seat of naturally giving trust, even when it feels unnatural to you, that if you if you can't relinquish and give trust to your assistant and more and more over time, you will find yourself in a place where you're unable to leverage this relationship and you're you're kind of become the lid on your own capacity. So I think being able to trust your assistant is really important for the success of this relationship.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's really good, Tricia. You know, from my side as the assistant, I think trust is built within the relationship. Um, You know, of course, from executing on my responsibilities and deliverables and, you know, communication, all of those things, but also for me by being really deliberate about finding ways to show you that I care about you as a person, Um, you know, asking, After a busy day, you know, how I can help you wrap up so that you can, you know, finish up early or following up after an an important meeting to ask how it went. Um, Things like that that really help you to see that I have your best interests in mind, I think really helps to develop that trust.
3: And showing that you're in their corner, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. ultimately our goal. Like we want you guys to succeed because if you guys succeed, we succeed. It's, It's a two way street. And so, thankfully, we have a culture here that trust is just. Automatically given at the get go, which is not usual, but very refreshing. And so, knowing that walking into the situation of when you say that, you don't actually believe it because you have history with other places mm-hmm. where that's not the case. But then, after one week, two weeks, a month, you're like, oh, they really mean that they're going to trust you from the start. That's also very
4: empowering. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting is that, you know, a lot of times there are certain numbers that people don't associate with leadership and that's Mm -hmm. a shame Mm. because it's not true. I can name you great leaders of every single type. Yeah. Corporate leaders, political leaders, you know, uh, movement leaders, whatever. And people look at nines and they go, well, you know, they're, they're kind of slow going people. They don't right." The best American presidents have all been nines. Mm. So I'm always telling people, Be careful about stereotyping. Mm, You know, this is a typing system, not a stereotyping system. So, you know, a healthy nine can lead the free world, literally.
1: Literally. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, this is, it's been, I mean, really eye-opening because I think that I've spent a lot of time reading about the Enneagram, but it was more personal. And so Mm. I really like how you flip this because as I said, you know, a couple of times now, I'm thinking of people in our team and people I work with and really being able to see their unique contributions and how important it is, I would think as a leadership team, that if you have an opportunity to build that, I mean, some of us, you know, were kind of put into a team and then we figured out what the numbers were, but would you recommend that if you have an opportunity to build a team and have some diversity in the types that, that there's value in that?
4: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I have HR people all the time say to me, oh, I'm going to use the Enneagram for hiring. And I go tap mm-hmm. the brakes. Hold on a second. First of all, you know, I always tell people you hire for character first because mm-hmm. you know, any one of these numbers could be a crook. So, you know, yeah. hire for character, right. you know, hire for character first, then hire for competency. Can they actually do the job?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. right. Uh,
4: then you want, I would say hire for self-awareness. And as part of that, does the person know themselves and know how to self-regulate? Can they collaborate? Can they be inclusive? Can they bring out the best in others? Right. Yeah. And then I say, you know, just don't think to yourself, oh, we're missing a three or we're missing a five. Mm-hmm. We got to hire that. That's a little short-sighted. It mm-hmm. has to be one data point, one data point among others. It's not a, you know, sometimes people get so enamored with the Enneagram that they think it's the it's like the genie answer immediately to all things. Right. And I'm like, be careful. It's not that. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, it's also a little bit, it's industry dependent. So, you know, I've worked with companies where it was all threes and eights in, let's say, senior leadership. And I've looked at what they do and look how they get along. And I think they don't need a four. If they need a four one day, they can get a consultant who's a four. Mm-hmm. You know, they can, they, can, they can bring somebody in to bring the four perspective. They don't necessarily have to spend the money and assert the energy to find a four if it's not you know, if they're making nuts and bolts or, you know, mm-hmm. doing construction stuff where they don't need a four, yeah. you know, they can, use, they can use an architect who's a four. They make great fours. Yeah. Arch- they make phenomenal architects. So, right. you know, just go down. I was listening to a podcast the other day about this guy that designed the, uh, the memorial out for 9-11, you know, for the 9-11 memorial. Oh, and I'm thinking, yeah. this, guy's, this guy's a four. Even though he's an engineer, mm. people go, that's a stereotype. Can a four be an engineer? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But his artistic vision artistic vision he had the aesthetic vision he had for that memorial uh the the philosophy the spirituality of that memorial it's pure four just pure four stuff going on so again it's um you can hire that
0: yeah
4: if you need to yeah you know outside for temporarily for a consultant so it just depends on the company you know some companies don't need the representation of certain types (laughs)
1: It's, it's one of those times, it's like, how do you know when it's okay to say no? Yes. Right? Like, especially when it comes around obligation or the disappointment. I think FOMO is probably a little bit easier to say no. You just got to convince yourself it'll be fine. But I think mm-hmm. when it revolves around relationships with people or, you know, your livelihood, then it's a lot harder to say no. So, I mean, when do you know personally when, when to say no? How do you gauge that?
0: Yeah, so for me, I can recognize in myself when I'm feeling overwhelmed. So, in other words, like I have taken on too many things, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's personally, professionally, what, whatever the the circumstance may may be. Sometimes it's a variety of reasons, you know. But like for work, for example, where I've sat in too many meetings or I agreed to participate in too many things or projects or as ceo represent Belay at, at a podcast or an event and i've kind of overcommitted myself mm-hmm. i really do feel that physically okay so i notice myself i get i get migraines i get bad headaches i don't mm-hmm. sleep well so it physically manifests in me when i'm overwhelmed or overworked or overscheduled yeah. And so for years I just kind of pushed through and I was like, you know, telling myself, "Suck it up, buttercup. Just keep on going." Right. Yeah. Um but the older I get, the more I realize like I I don't want to feel like crap. I don't want mm-hmm. to lose sleep. I don't want to have a headache because I've done too much today. Right. So, it really forced myself to put in boundaries for myself. And so that is the first thing I've done to help me say no. Mm -hmm. It's like, I I only have a finite number of hours in my day and in my week and in my month. And there are things that I must fit in there. My family, my kids, being a mom, dinner time, like first and foremost, laying the foundation of being a present parent. Then filtering on all my obligations at work that are truly the obligations, mm-hmm. all of my team one-on-ones, ballet leadership, vision casting, all the things I must do, and then honestly, everything else is a considered no for me yeah. <laughs> at kind that of, point.
1: Kind of sounds like an ideal week almost. Yes, and so that's <laughs> how I frame it up. As I, I
0: do, I kind of yeah. say if if all things are perfect in the world, this is what my week would look like. And my yeah. assistant has that, so I. Practice Mm -hmm. following what is an ideal scenario as much as possible, and I get better at it the more I I practice it. So it's kind of like a a snowball when you start saying no, and actually realize if you say no kindly, Mm -hmm. people actually don't get mad at you. (laughs) Like people are actually really understanding. Sure. Yeah. Then then you learn to do it more, and then again, and then
1: it almost becomes very free. Well, the other thing too that I want to mention is a lot of times, um, people, if, if you have remote employees, what we hear is that it, it is a lot harder to get acclimated and to get used to working remotely. And it can be a little bit more difficult to lead. So, like what I always remind every time I get to talk with a new employee is that a traditional brick and mortar, they will tell you it takes about 90 days, right, to get onboarded and to really feel like you know your job. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you're working remote, that can be up to six months. Because there is something that is lost a little bit in remote, Mm -hmm. and so you just want to add what we like to call grace. Mm -hmm. You want to give a little bit of extra grace during that time so they can really understand, like you said, Tricia, the why, the vision of the organization, the mission, and those guiding principles, along with just the role
5: itself. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't just walk around the corner right to the next cube or office and say, I have a question. So, one of the other things I feel like we've done a really good job is creating a culture of just people being very supportive and available. One of the things that I get from new employees is, I can't believe how willing everybody is to help, how available everybody is. So, that would be another thing, you know, if you have a team or if it's just you yourself. It's going to take a little bit more on your part and your team's part to do this virtually. Mm -hmm. Make yourself available. You know, don't make it feel like a burden um, for somebody who's new trying to figure it out. That has been... I think a really definitive win for us is the supportive, collaborative culture that we have embracing new employees. I think we always remember, right, when it it was our first day. Well, and the same goes for our clients.
0: So people come to Belay for us to place them with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and web specialists. And I think because we're helping support that higher for them, they Mm -hmm. think that training and their responsibility to train is somehow obsolete. Guys, I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. Yep. We may find you great talent, but at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, the the training of the people you work with, whether they're a contractor or an employee or through an agency like us, Mm -hmm. it's on you as the leader. Mm -hmm. Your, Your teammate will only be as good as the investment you put into them. And hiring people takes time on the front end and on the back end. So it takes it takes time to bring them on, find the right person, and there's a whole lot of time and an investment, really, that goes into your new hire to make sure they are trained, they have resources, people are available to answer their questions so they do feel supported, welcomed, and they can be super successful. And I feel like that... Is the big takeaway.
1: As leaders, how are you staying productive with so much more yet to do? And depending upon your personality style, it's even easier to become more of a dare I say that, a micromanager. And that's what we don't want to do because you start to lose productivity when you feel like you've got to be in all the tiny little details over and over again. I know you felt that too, right? Yes. I mean, typical control freak leadership tendency (laughs) says,
0: right, when we are feeling pressure to do more, we have a tendency to kind of drag ourselves down into the weeds we like to call them mm-hmm. over here. So we we can easily as leaders when there's a lot going on inside our organization feel pulled down right into things maybe we didn't get involved with before we think we're trying to help and we're trying mm-hmm. to serve our team, but we're serving nobody well because then we wind up, we wind up at a place where we are we're micromanaging, we're running out of hours in our day, we're not being productive, and our team doesn't like to feel like they're being micromanaged.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole idea is that you're going to hire adults And adults should know that they have a job to do and they should do that job very, very well. And so when we feel like we're overscheduled or we have too much on our plate, it, it really has the opposite effect on our team members because they sort of feel like they're doing something wrong. And ultimately, that makes them less productive. And then they trust us less too, which doesn't feel good.
0: Yes, yes. I mean that's that's the unfortunate part about uh, micromanaging is that you know it has the opportunity, the unfortunate opportunity to break relational capital instead of build it or to your point lead to distrust or an employee thinking maybe they're not doing something right or correct. And so mm-hmm. you know you're all in their biz.
1: They're wondering <laughs> why you're in their
0: business, so they must they must think I'm not doing my job. Yeah. When really we're just kind of in this, you know, frenzy of there's so much going on, I got to get in there mm-hmm. and help the team because there's so much to do. But what we know to be true is that although the tendency might be to step down into the weeds and we find ourselves there often is, you know, really being able to take the step back and go, okay, what is it that I'm here to do as the leader or executive of this team? And and really kind of remind yourself that you're hurting potentially yourself and other people in the process, you know, yourself in that burnout, you know, trying to take on too much and getting scattered and losing productive behavior it is only going to negatively affect you as a person, yeah. let alone the people that are around you.
1: Right. And growth means that the leader needs to start thinking strategically. And you can't think strategically if you're in the weeds because you're not able to lift up your head. And in a time of massive growth, you have got to start planning for the next season ahead. And, you know, perhaps in your business, that's only 12 months out. Maybe it's five years out But you have to remember that, yes, there's a lot going on, but it's going to continue to be that way. And you have to set yourself up for future growth and future success. So, strategy is going to be more important now than ever. what a fun look back and what an amazing journey this past year has been i hope you are enjoying the one next step as much as we are if you haven't already we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode thank you for listening to us throughout 2021 what a
0: year thanks to our guests for generously sharing their time and wisdom with us And thank you to our team for their hard work in bringing this podcast to you every week. Thank you for joining us. Join us next week for more practical tips and actionable tools to advance your business one step at a time. Start
1: by making today count. The most important aspect of keeping your business afloat is how you manage your finances. However, not every startup and small business can afford to make the leap of hiring a CFO. Don't miss next week's masterclass when Trisha and I will talk about all the tools that are essential for keeping your finances in order so you can scale your business. Here's a snippet of our conversation. And I think sometimes when you start to look for different tools, uh, you can be enamored by all the features and functionality. Um, I know there's some really large expense reporting applications out there that do sound very, very sexy, but they would be more for companies that have a lot of travel. You know, for me, the lesson in there is don't use something just because there's another maybe competitor that uses it or you've got a friend who's got a different business, like make sure the tool is the right size for you and what you're trying to do in the moment.
0: Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes and helpful
2: resources, visit OneNextStepPodcast.com.